You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Okay, everyone, well, we'll pray and get into the Word. I'm ready. Are you ready tonight? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you, Lord. We thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for being so good to us. And thank you so much for all that Jesus has done for us, the price that he has paid in full. Thank you for his shed blood. Thank you for his broken body. Thank you that because of all of that, we are redeemed. We're healed. We're delivered tonight. And Father, we're so grateful that we can approach the written word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we believe tonight to receive from him. We believe for him to teach us and to lead us and guide us into all truth. We believe for our eyes to be open and our ears to hear the revelation that you have for us tonight. And Father, we'll be just ever mindful to be doers of what we hear and not uh, hearers only. And Father, we thank you for it. We believe you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is week number five. And by the way, if if you start hearing static or anything, let me know. I think I've got it taken care of uh, like we did last week. But anyway, uh, this is week number five in our series talking about understanding the times and the seasons. And if you really want to put a subtitle on this, really what you could call this is living in the perfect will of God, what God's will is for our lives. And, um, you know, as again, to, just to remind you when the Lord brought this to, uh, up out of my spirit for what he wanted us to talk about, he brought the scripture to mind. And we're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but Matthew chapter 16, verses one through three, where he rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they could discern the signs of the weather and what kind of weather was going to happen for that day. But he said in verse three, he said, uh, you know, you hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And what God's will is that we, especially we believers, understand what the the signs of the times and essentially what that is is the the unfolding of God's will plan and purpose and he wants us to be aware of that he wants us to not be caught off guard or surprised by those things and of course you know as we've been saying all along there's two aspects to the will of God there's the overall will of God for the entire world and the earth and God's plan for that and then there is uh, the plan for the body of Christ, and then there is the plan uh, for you and me individually. And of course, all of that is woven together. But um, again, God wants you to understand what the will of God is for not only the body of Christ, but for you specifically in your own personal life. And so we've looked every week at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. Paul said this, look carefully then how you walk, live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. So again, if, if Paul's instructions by the Holy Spirit are for us to firmly understand what the will of the Lord is, then it is possible for that to happen. It is possible for us to be able to walk in and live in the will of God. We've also looked at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul recorded a prayer that he'd been praying for the church at Colossae. And by the way, you can pray this prayer for yourself. I pray this all the time for, for my life and for our church. But Paul said this in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, again in the Amplified, for this reason we also, from the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking that you may be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and an understanding and discernment of spiritual things. And then he goes on to say that you may walk, live, and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and desiring to please him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing and increasing in and by the knowledge of God with fuller, deeper, and clearer insight, acquaintance, and recognition. I know that's very wordy, but uh, which the Amplified sometimes is, but uh, the thing that I want you to, to get out of those two verses is that it's the will of God for us to have a full, deep, and clear knowledge of the will of God. And then I like the way that the, these verses uh, in the Amplified that you and I should understand the ways and, and the, the, the reasons that God does things. It says that we'd have insight into the ways and purposes of God and that we would be able to understand and discern spiritual things. And uh, that's what God desires for each and every one of us. So if you want to turn over to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're going to pick up there. We mentioned these verses last week, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. And so Paul, again, writing by the Spirit of God, said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And that word beseech is an old English word that means I beg or I'm pleading with you, brothers, is what he says. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the reason that Paul said that he, he wanted us, and of course, writing by the Spirit of God, that we're to renew our minds is so that we can eliminate questions and we can establish and prove, the Scripture says, what the perfect will of God is for our lives. And so, as we said last week, the beginning of that happens in verse one, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and the, the first thing that you're going to have to do in desiring to walk in the will of God is to be willing to uh, put your flesh under, in other words, bring it into submission sacrifice it, if it will, if you will, that, that to use the terminology, 
In other words, let me say it to you this way, and we said this last week, God is not going to reveal his perfect will to you if you aren't willing to walk in it. If you are not surrendering your desires, your will, your plans, your purposes to God's will, plan, and purpose, he is not going to reveal that to you. You know, one thing God doesn't do is waste time. And uh, so he'll, he'll, you know, mercifully give you time. He'll, he'll be patient with us and, and all of those things. But uh, the first thing that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, just like the Lord Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so if we're wanting to walk in the perfect will of God, it begins with us being willing to submit to whatever that will is. Now, let me say this, uh, just as a little addendum to that, and, and that is this, God will not call you or give you an assignment to do something that he doesn't place a desire in you to accomplish. Now, you might have to take a step in that direction before that desire gets planted in your spirit, but the Lord will give you the desire. In other words, you know, I know uh, folks that, you know, might be hesitant to uh, surrender to the will of God because they're afraid that God's going to ask something of them that they, you know, don't have any desire nor want to do, like, you know, call you to uh, be a missionary somewhere in the jungles of Africa or something. Well, I, I tell you this, if God calls you to do that, he will plant the desire on the inside of you to where you will have such compassion and love for the people that he's called you to minister to. And then he'll give you grace to be able to stand up to and endure whatever hardships are, are required for you to fulfill that. So you know, don't be afraid of surrendering to the will of God. Now, again, renewing your mind is the primary way that you're going to discern the will of God. Um, you know, you're going to have to eliminate the questions as far as what is the will of God. When you're trying to find out what is the will of God for my life, you know, eliminate as many questions up front as you possibly can. Then what does that mean? Well, I'm going to have to spend some time in the Word of God and, and let the Word reveal some things to me as far as the will of God. And, and I promise you that will eliminate a lot of the questions, if not the majority of them. Now, I want to say this to you, and we're going to spend more time on this later on in tonight's lesson, but if you want to know overall, what does the perfect will of God look like? I mean, what does it look like? How do I measure my life, my world, if you will, to what the perfect will of God is? Well, there's two things that you can do. Number one, you can go to the book of Genesis and read what the world, the earth was like before man fell. That is the perfect will of God. God created the, the heavens and the earth and everything was perfect in them. And, uh, you know, it was man that messed all of that up. But the fact of the matter is that everything we see happening prior to the, the fall of mankind was the perfect will of God. The second thing that you can look at to get a picture as to what the perfect will of God is, is go to the end of the book, go to the end of the Bible and uh, look at what the earth looks like 
After the enemy has been removed, the curse has been lifted, the fullness of man's redemption has been uh, experienced in the earth. You know, we, we have not experienced the fullness of our redemption. Part of our redemption is when we receive our glorified bodies, and, and we will not receive that until uh, the rapture of the church takes place and all of that. But the thing that I want you to see is look in the book of Revelation at the pictures of heaven and the things that God gives us where there is no more curse, there is no more sorrow, there's no more sickness, pain, and the Bible says, and death, the final enemy, death, has been put under our feet once and for all. That is a picture of the perfect will of God. Now, I will say this, everything in between is not the perfect will of God. Everything since the fall of mankind and up until uh, the Lord renovates the planet, and we see that in the book of Revelation, that that is not the perfect will of God. We are uh, a, a group of people that believe in and love and, and are surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and allowing his will to be manifest in our lives in a world that is not experiencing the perfect will of God. So, you know, just kind of to wrap your brain around it, just figure it, figure it out this way. You're like a fish swimming upstream. Everybody else is going to be going the opposite way that you're going. And so, you know, when, when you meet some resistance, don't sweat it. You're, you're endeavoring to align your life with the perfect will of God. And in the meantime, everything else is going in the opposite direction. Okay. Now, let me say this to you. Um, in dealing with our children, well, let me, let me say this first. I remember when I was a kid, uh, on television, there, there used to be, and I don't know if it's still in existence or not, but there used to be a government agency called the ad council. And they used to put, uh, public service announcements on, uh, TV in the form of, com uh, commercials. Y'all right. Might remember, uh, you know, the do not litter campaigns that were all in the early seventies and so forth, you know, give a hoot, don't pollute and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you, you know, I, I can remember all of those going back to when I was a kid. And you might even remember there was a, a commercial that the Ad Council ran that said this, go to the church of your choice. Now, the government is not going to do that today, but, you know, they would tell you, they would encourage people, go to the church of your choice. And I appreciate what they were trying to do, but did you know that that's absolutely wrong? you do not have the right as a believer in Jesus Christ to go to the church of your choice. I'll show you in just a little bit, but you have a right to go where God places you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And let me say this, um, you know, parents don't, um, I, and, and again, I'm not knocking the heart or the spirit behind this, but when you're encouraging your children, don't encourage your children that they can grow up and be whatever they want to be. Okay. Encourage your children to grow up and be what God wants them to be. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, and we said this last week, the most dangerous place that you can be is outside of the will of God. The safest place that you can be is inside and in the perfect will of God. 
And so when we encourage our children, encourage your children to pursue their relationship with God and to follow his will, plan, and purpose for their own lives. Don't just leave it so ambiguous that, you know, if, if they want to become a fireman, an astronaut, whatever the case is, that, oh, yeah, that's great. You can do that. Well, no, you need to teach them and encourage them to go after what the will of God is for their lives. Because I promise you, if they're uh, if they go in and become a fireman, because that's something that they've always wanted to do, okay, but, the, but God's desire is for them to do something else, they're never going to be satisfied and fulfilled outside of the will of God. So as a parent, as a leader, the best thing that we can do is we can in, encourage young people to pursue the, the, the face of God, get before the Lord, find out what his will, plan, and purpose is for their lives. And instead of deciding what they want to do, listen to the difference, let them or teach them to discover what the will of God is. It's not a decision. It's a discovery. Okay. And our job is, as adults and parents is to help young people discover what is the will of God for their lives. And that's our responsibility. Now, I want to say this to you, and I've alluded to you uh, to the to this before. Anybody, when you were a kid, go on an Easter egg hunt? Okay, I think we all did. All right, and you remember how the adults would go out and they'd hide the eggs all throughout the yard and so forth and so on, and then you'd have your basket, and then you'd go out and try and find as many eggs as you possibly can. Well, again. That's what a lot of people, a lot of Christians now, not worldly people, Christians, that's what a lot of Christians perceive and believe is the way we're supposed to figure out what the will of God is. That with the will of God is like those Easter eggs, and we're supposed to go look under the bushes and behind the grass and all that kind of stuff and find the eggs that God has hidden for us. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll find the one that's the right one for us, and that'll be the will of God. Well, you know, God's plan and God's desire is for you and I not to waste a bunch of time. You know, the, the thing I'm thankful for, and, you know, I have my, my mom who's on here and Judy and Alan and other people uh, to thank for this, and that is this. I'm thankful that I found out what the will of God was for my life as a teenager uh, in high school, and I didn't spend 30, 40, 50 years of my life outside of the will of God, and then all of a sudden one day get the revelation that I'm supposed to be doing something way over here, and I've wasted all that time. Now, you know, I, I'm not pretending that I've walked perfectly in it all, all these years, but I, I, I will say this, that I've always had a heart to pursue after those things, and the reason I'm saying this is not to make anybody feel bad if that's in the position you're in, because God will help you redeem the time. But God's plan is that we don't waste a bunch of time. God's plan is, you know, really the ideal thing for us as believers and for Christian households, did you know that it's never God's will for a child to grow up in a household and have to go out and experience uh, what it's like to live as a sinner and have to experience the hard things as a sinner and go through life as a sinner and then one day give their hearts to Christ. No, God's plan is, is that we do like Proverbs says, is we raise up children 
in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And when we do that, they will not depart from it. In other words, God's plan, his highest and best is that we raise up children that really don't know the difference between what it was like to be a child and then grow into being a believer, if that makes sense. In other words, you know, there's nowhere that it's established that that we have to go out and sow our wild oats before we get saved and all that type of thing. No, you can grow up in, in a Christian household, be taught the things of Lord of the Lord, and then at some point you're just prompted, you know you need to give your heart to Christ, and so you do that and you just keep moving in your walk with the Lord. And so what I'm, what I'm saying to us is this, is that God wants us to get on board with his perfect will for our lives as soon as possible. Now, again, God's mercy and grace is so good that the scripture tells us that he will help us to redeem the time that he'll help us make up for lost time, but it's not absolutely necessary that we experience that. Now, Let's talk about the perfect will of God for a little bit tonight. The perfect will of God can be divided into two major categories, okay? The perfect will of God can be divided into two categories, and I'm talking about on an individual level now, okay? Number one, it is the general will of God that is made known to us by God's word. The perfect will of God for our lives that's made known unto us through and by the written word of God. The Bible is filled with things that tell us in his word what is his will, plan, and purpose for our lives. And I'm a firm believer that if we will, as I said earlier, discover those things, get the revelation of those things from the word of God, I believe, and you know, I, I don't know that there's a set percentage, but I would say it's a very high percentage of questions that will be answered by a lot of these things that we discover from the Word of God that people have, the questions that people have concerning the perfect will of God because they're ignorant of God's Word. They don't know what the Bible teaches. And, and I'll say this to you, okay? Um when you're ignorant of what the Bible says about certain things, rest assured, the devil is going to try and get in and fill in the blanks for you. Okay. In other words, if you have questions, the enemy is going to try and fill in those blanks for you so that he can keep you confused and bewildered and delayed and all the things that he, cause he doesn't want you getting in the will of God. If he knows that if you and I get in the will of God, we're dangerous to him. We become a threat to him. So he doesn't want you living and walking in the will of God. He wants you to live your whole life with questions and uh, just be guessing, trying to figure out what God's will is. So again, a great majority of these things can be established by us getting in the word of God and discovering what the word is says. So let me give you a handful of things tonight. And, and these are basic, you, you, you know, these things, but it will help us to look at them and to uh, establish them. Okay. So 
you know, I know there's a denomination that would disagree with the statement that I'm getting ready to say to you, and that is this. It is the will of God for all people, all men, women, boys, and girls, all people to be saved. Now, there is a denomination that believes that God has already determined who is going to heaven and who's not going to make it to heaven, who's going to hell. And that's been established throughout the ages. Well, if they would get in the Bible and find out what the Bible says, now the, the question comes to bear, well, does that mean everybody's going to get saved? Well, obviously not, because we're given a free will. We're given a free moral agency to be able to choose whether we want to receive Christ or not. But the Bible does not teach that God goes any, meeny, miny, mo. I'm sorry, you don't get to go. Okay. God doesn't work that way. All right. So let's look at a couple of verses. First Timothy chapter two, go over there with me. First Timothy chapter two. And, uh, I might end up as we get into these, just quoting them to you. So if I do, don't get upset with me. I'm, I'm trying to cover a lot of material. First Timothy chapter two, verses three and four. Now this is after Paul is encouraging us to pray for those in authority over us and give thanks for them and so forth and so on. And he, in verse three, he says, uh, in first Timothy two, three, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, not verse four, who desires. So, so let's establish who is he talking about? God, the father who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that kind of flies right in the face with that whole predestination doctrine. Okay. Because God clearly says in uh, the apostle Paul wrote and clearly stated by the Holy spirit, that it is God's will that all men, all men come to the knowledge that they get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay. Go with me to second Peter chapter three and verse nine, second Peter three, nine, go towards the back of the book. Second Peter three, nine. Now this is the apostle Peter writing his letter. And he said this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Mm -hmm. Now notice this. I, I love that Peter said this, that God is long suffering. In other words, you know, there's a lot of people that you and I would write off that God does not write off. I mean, he gives them every opportunity. That's what it means that he's long suffering with people to give them every opportunity until they breathe their last breath to receive Christ and to be born again. Why? Because it is the will of God that none should perish and that we all should come to repentance. Now, here's the second thing. So we can establish God wants everybody saved. Here's the second thing. And I don't have time to, this is what I'm getting ready to say, I could teach on for months, okay? And I just did a long series at church about this, but I'll say this, and I can say this with all authority based on the Word of God. It is the will of God for people, men, to be healed. 
It is the will of God for people to be healed. The same thing is true as with salvation. God doesn't heal some and choose not to heal others. He, he has made healing available to everyone. All right. Now, the best way that you can present this, if you want to just make a note of this ver these verses, John 8, verses 28 and 29. Now, we do not find any example in the scriptures where Jesus ever failed to heal someone that came to him in faith, believing to be healed. In other words, there was nobody in his ministry that he said, no, it's not my will to heal you. Now, there were people who failed to receive because they didn't approach him in faith, his hometown. You know, Jesus went to Nazareth, and the Bible says he could could there do no mighty work, not because it was not his will, but because of their unbelief. All right. Mm -hmm. So it is clearly the will of God for men to be healed. So John 8, 28 and 29, Jesus said this, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So what is Jesus saying? He fulfilled the will of God perfectly while he was here in the earth. So we can say, based on this, and there's other scriptures, but we can say that every person that got healed under Jesus' ministry got healed because it was the will of God for them to be healed. Well, I can say this, if it was the will of God for those people to be healed under Jesus' ministry, it is the will of God for you to be healed today under Jesus' ministry. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead, uh, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness and by whose stripes you were healed. Notice there is no qualification there. The implication is, is everybody who desires to be healed, Jesus has already bought and paid for the healing. It belongs to everyone. Now, somebody says, well, then why don't every, why doesn't everybody get healed? Well, there's a multitude of reasons, but most of the time it's because it's on the receiving end, not on the healing end. All right. So it is the will of God for men to be healed. Now I'm going to say, uh, here's number three or another point. And I can say this without any fear of contradiction. It is the will of God for you to prosper and increase so that you can be a greater blessing. It is the will of God for you to prosper and increase so that you can be a greater blessing. Now, I heard a pastor say just the other day that that statement that I just made to you is, is a doctrine of a devil. Okay, it's demonic and it's ungodly. Well, if it's ungodly, then there's a whole lot of the word of God that we could just rip out and throw away. All right. It is not ungodly. This is a biblical truth. Now, 
Yes, there have been some that maybe have taken it to the extreme, but listen, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is a doctrinal truth that is clearly established in the word. Let me give you some scriptures. Psalm 35, verse 27. Psalm 35 and verse 27. Again, I could preach and teach, uh, you know, weeks on this. But, but David wrote in the Psalms, he said, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Now he's quoting the Lord and he said, who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who gets mad when his people prosper. No, that's not what the scripture says. It says, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Uh, I'll say this to you. When you and I decide, make a decision that we're going to live broke and in debt and can't do anything for the Lord because we don't have any money and, and we believe that that's the will of God for our lives, I can tell you right now, you are displeasing the Father. It, it brings him pleasure when you and I prosper and increase, not so that we can heap it upon ourselves. Now, listen, God doesn't have a problem with you having something. He doesn't have a problem with you living a blessed life. The purpose of all of that, though, is for you and I so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. But the fact of the matter is, it is the will of God for you to prosper. Third John, mm -hmm. verse 2, Third John 2. John wrote to uh, the believers and he said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Mm -hmm. So he said, you, it is the will of God. I pray that you prosper in all things and be mm -hmm. in health just as your soul prospers. Yep. Now, let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 out of the Passion Translation. And I, I really, really like this translation of this verse. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you have experienced the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake, so that by his poverty we could become rich beyond measure. Now, somebody said, well, yeah, pastor, but that means when we get to heaven. Okay, well, then let's examine this for just a minute. The Bible says that, that although Jesus was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake. When did Jesus become poor? Well, he became poor when he set aside his divinity and came into the earth. But I can tell you this, and mm -hmm. I can go through Jesus' ministry and prove it to you. Jesus never experienced lack and insufficiency in any form in his life and ministry. Never. Now, mm -hmm. he he did a lot. He, he um, you know, lived. He, he didn't live in a palace like Herod did. However, he never went without. He always had more than enough. He lived in abundance. 
And he always was able, and really, if you want to know what biblical prosperity is, biblical mm -hmm. prosperity is this, and it'd do you good to learn this definition. Mm -hmm. Biblical prosperity is the ability to use the power of God to meet the needs of humanity, no matter what those needs are. Mm -hmm. Biblical prosperity is the ability to be able to use the power of God to meet the needs of humanity, no matter what those needs are. And that perfectly describes the ministry of Jesus. He did it. He, I mean, listen, a guy that can take uh, five loaves and two fishes and feed 15,000 plus people, he is not poor. Okay. So we need to get that set aside all of our religious thinking. All right. Now, Here's the next point, all right? It is the will of God for you to have peace and live free from worry and anxiety. We're teaching on this on Sundays in, at church right now. It is the will of God for you to have peace and live free from worry and anxiety. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, believers that believe that that's the way we're supposed to live. You know, it's okay to love Jesus. It's okay to go to church. It's okay to believe the word of God and, and, and believe that, you know, the Bible is a good book and all of those types of things. It's even, you know, you can believe God that uh, he'll want to make you a better person. But there are believers by the score that are living their lives bent over, if you will, doubled over by, by worry, anxiety, fear, uh, and everything that comes with it. And that is not the will of God. All right. Matthew chapter six and verse 25, Matthew six twenty five. And by the way, if you read, uh, five verses, 25 through 30 in Matthew six, five times, Jesus says this following statement. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. And I, I you know, at church Sunday, I, it, this was part of my message. And, and I said to the congregation, you know, if Jesus says something once, it's, it's very important. Okay. We need to listen. If he says it twice, it's even more important. But if he says it five times in the span of a five minute message, then it is extremely important. And it is something that we need to incorporate into our lives. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Paul said this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard mm -hmm. your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. First Peter chapter five, verses six and seven. Peter tells us, humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. How? How, Peter, are we supposed to do that? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, I find it interesting in that verse, just a little side note, that humbling yourself before God and casting your cares over on him go hand in hand. Why is that? Well, just point blank. And I can say this as a former worrier, all right, that when you are worried and anxious about your life, you're trying to be your own God. 
Peter says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand by casting all of your cares, your worries, your anxieties over on him. In other words, stop trying to be your own God. You can't do it. It's above your pay grade. Okay. It's above my pay grade. Let God be God. Let him handle those things and, and take them. John chapter 14, verse 27, John 14, verse 27 in the Amplified Bible, Jesus said this, peace I live with, leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not, you do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. You know, if there's a mic drop statement, that's it right there. I mean, we could pray, bow our heads and dismiss right now. And if we could do those four verses right there, we will experience tremendous things happening in our lives. All right, here's go. Here's the next point. It's the will of God that we have love and peace in our homes and in our families. Uh, your home should be a place of peace. God designs for it and wills, desires for it to be a place of safety and refuge for you. You know, one of the last things that God would ever desire is that after you and I have been in the world all day long, doing mm -hmm. our jobs, being around people and so forth, that we dread going home because there's mm. no peace at home. Oh. God desires, and it's his will for us to have peace in our homes. And, you know, as I was uh, studying this and looking over it, these two verses from Proverbs came up in my thinking, and it might sound kind of odd, but I'll explain it. Proverbs 15 and verse 7. Proverbs 15, verse 7. Solomon wrote, and he said this, better is a dinner of herbs or vegetables where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one translation says it this way, better is a dinner of vegetables where love is than a steak with those who hate you. Mm -hmm. In other words, God desires for us. Listen, you may not have steak every night, but if you can go home to a home of peace and you're eating vegetables, you're a, a wealthy person. You, you're doing really, really good. Proverbs 17, verse 1 says this, better is a dry morsel, uh, just a little piece of bread with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Mm. It is not God's will for you to live in a house full of strife. It, it, mm. you know, and of course, God wants you to eat well, but listen, it's obvious. It is better for you to have a dry, stale piece of bread to eat, but you're mm -hmm. in peace than mm -hmm. it is for you to have all the food and, and, you know, dine on whatever you're going to dine on in a house full of strife. I'm telling mm -hmm. you, because if you're living in that strife, I don't care what you eat. It, you're going to have an upset stomach. You're going to, you're going to be tore up. All right. So it is God's will for us to have love and peace in our homes and families. And of course, there are other scriptures that we could look at. All right. So here's the next thing. Though we all encounter tough times, 
and pressures in life. In other words, life happens to all of us. It is the will of God that we win and overcome every time. You know, I, I'm amazed that some people, believers, and even preachers, teach that, that you know, you're not going to win every time in life. Okay? That, uh, you know, and I understand things might not go our way in situations that we're dealing with. However, your life is not to be lived as you win some and you lose some. That is not the will of God. All right. Mm -mm. Now, sometimes we don't get what we want because we're not wanting what's correct. All right. But the fact of the matter is, as the circum, and I'm just talking about the circumstances of life, the things that happen in our lives as we just navigate through life, it is the will of God that you win and overcome every single time. Okay. So let's look at, at John chapter 16 and verse 33. What did Jesus say? Well, I'm going to read the, that verse out of the Amplified Bible. Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, and undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. That's pretty, pretty plain right there. So yes, life is going to happen, but if we will stay in faith and believe the word of God, then Jesus said that we can uh, experience those things deprived of their power and their ability to hurt and harm us. Okay. So in other words, listen, and, and I said this, you know, in previous lessons, the will of God, let me say it to you this way. Okay. There are some in the body of Christ that believe that everything that happens in our lives, good, bad, and different is all the will of God. Well, I've shown you enough tonight to, to shoot holes in all of that. And, and so, you know, that just, flies in the face of what Jesus is saying that, that you're just supposed to lay down and take whatever happens in your life. And I said, I believe it was last week that a lot of times, because we're ignorant of what God's will is, we don't know what to accept and we don't know what to reject. We don't know what to resist and we don't know what to welcome in our lives. And unfortunately, and it breaks my heart to say this, but unfortunately, a large portion of the body of Christ is living that way. They are, you know, living and just believing that everything that happens in their life, good and bad, comes at the will, plan, and purpose of God. And that absolutely is not the truth. And, you know, and I've said this a million times before, but listen, you will not hear me say a blanket statement like this. Well, you know, everything that happens, it's all because of God's hand, because God is in control. All right. That is not biblical. I'll say this to you. God is in control of what you give him control over. 
But when you and I deny the very existence of an adversary that the Bible clearly teaches on that is bent on our destruction, man, that flies in the face of a good and merciful and, and faithful God. And so, you know, listen, when I got that revelation years and years and years ago, I refuse. And, and you know, if, if somebody says that to me, I'll be quiet. I'm not going to fly off the handle at people, but it burns me up on the inside when people attribute those types of things to the hand of God. You know, listen, if, if, if just go down to the Levine Children's Hospital sometime in the cancer mm -hmm. ward and look at those children who are battling cancer in their lives. And for you to stand up and say that's happening because God wills it. You better look out, because if you say that in my presence, mm -hmm. I might have to punch your lights out and get forgiveness later, okay? I'm just saying it It just it burns me up. Uh, you know, I'll try and restrain myself. So anyway, enough said. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, and I'm reading from the Bible in basic English. We're still talking about how God wants us to win and overcome every time. The scripture says this, but praise be to God who makes us strong to overcome in Christ and makes clear through us in every place the value of the knowledge of him. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, also from the Bible in basic English. And I'm going to read verses 35. 37, 38, and 39 in Romans chapter 8. It says this, who will come between us and the love of Christ? Will trouble or pain or cruel acts or the need of food or of clothing or danger or the sword? But we are able to overcome all these things and more through his love. For I am certain that not death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or things on high, or things under the earth, or anything which is made, which will be able to come between us and the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, in the King James and New King James, this is the verse that says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, anybody ever heard, it's a shoe brand They've been struggling throughout the years, and they're not all that popular. Um, anybody ever heard of a brand of shoes named Nike? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, the word Nike is actually the Greek word Nike. And what the word Nike means is to win. And in Romans chapter 8, when it talks about more than conquerors, it, in the, if you look in the Greek language, it's a compound word. It is the prefix hupo, which we get hyper from, and nikeo. Hupo nikeo is the word. In other words, it is a hyper over and above winning that we've been made and given in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I have been made over and above overcomers and winners in this life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have to be careful and, and mindful and say this. Does that mean we're exempt from challenges happening? No. As long as we're in this world, 
we're going to, Jesus said that, we're going to experience and have those things come into our lives. But Jesus has overcome them. He's deprived them of their power to harm us and given us the ability to win in them every single time. Now, I'm going to make a statement to you. Everything that Jesus suffered on the cross for mm -hmm. us was the will of God so that we could be free from everything he suffered. Mm. Now, I'm going to say that again. Everything that Jesus suffered on the cross for us was the will of God so that we could be free from everything that he suffered. You know, mm. think about this. Galatians 3 says that he was made the curse for us. We just read in 1 Peter 2.24 that he took the stripes upon his back, and by his stripes we are healed. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And, and, and he took, not, not to mention the redemption and price that he paid to set us free from sin to make us right with God, all of those things he suffered, it was God's plan for him to suffer those things so that you and I could experience the will of God and not suffer those things. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. I'm going to amen myself on that one. All right. Here's the second thing. All right. So we've been talking about the things in the general will of God that are talked about in the word of God. So listen, and there's more, there's tons more, but, but if we just got in the word and found out those things, it would help shape and help us begin to narrow our pursuit of the will of God for our lives. So what is number two? Well, the, num the second area are the specific things, the, the specific will of God for our individual lives. Now, where do we live? Where do we work? Who am I supposed to marry? All those types of things. The, the Bible does not clearly point blank give answers to those things like we, the previous subjects did. However, there are some things that the Word of God gives us to help narrow even those things down. So let me, uh, you know, uh, give you a few of these to you, all right? I'm running out of time, so I, I got to hurry. I'm only about halfway through. All right, so here's the, you know, so the question is, you know, where am I supposed to work? Where am I supposed to get a job? Well, let's establish, first of all, it's the will of God for you to get a job. And honest to goodness, now this may shock you, but I know, and I, one individual that comes to my mind right now, y'all don't know this person, but uh, they swore up and down that God did not call them to go to work to provide for their family, that they were supposed to uh, sit at home and pursue the Lord and so forth and so on. All right. And, and I watched their, their lives. There was a family uh, from a distance, and it was a mess. I'm telling you, a big mess. Well, all he had to do was go to the Bible. The Bible says, um, you know, that we're told very clearly that we should work and provide for our families. Okay, mm -hmm. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. Uh, you know, I, I, if I'd had an opportunity, now this man didn't go to my church full-time, or if he did, I would have uh, bring the, brought this revelation to him. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, 
He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty heavy right there. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you are called to the ministry. Let me tell you something. If your ministry cannot afford to pay you a salary so that you can take care of your family, then you still need to take care of your family because your family comes first before that calling does. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's a little sidebar. Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. That means go to work, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. We're told, uh, let me, that line doesn't belong there on the bottom of those scriptures. But anyway, the scripture says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, go to work. All right. By the way, this individual that I was thinking about in the previous verse, you know, anytime that there was a function going on and food was involved, you know, it's funny how he and his family always showed up. And it was always funny how he always wanted to get leftovers to take home. And and, and listen, I didn't have a problem helping, okay? But how much more of a blessing would he have been if he'd have been in the will of God and was able to come to that food function and make a supply instead of always looking for what he can get to help feed his family, all right? Mm -hmm. That's what the will of God is, all right? Now, I'll give you a couple more real quick. Uh, here's the next one. You know, who am I supposed to marry? Well, I can tell you this with beyond contradiction from the word, a believer, a born-again Christian is never to marry an unbeliever. Okay? A born-again Christian is never to marry someone who is not born again. And I know, listen, I've talked to them. I've had them come into my office before. Oh, but pastor, I can get he or she saved. No, you can't. All right. I, I More times than not, uh, I have never seen that work out. And when I've talked to other pastors and people, nobody has ever told me a situation like that, that it worked out and it was successful. Okay. Now it's not impossible. I'm not going to say that, but when the scripture clearly says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's pretty clear cut. Okay. So here's what you could do. If you're a single person and you know, you have your eye on someone who isn't saved and you want to wait, well, why don't you begin praying for them to get saved before you start dating them? Let them give their lives to Christ and then see where God takes you. All right. Now, now I tell you what, I'm going to stop right there because the next one is, is kind of a bigger topic and it'll take me a few minutes to, to get on that one. So I did pretty good. I got five pages done. Praise the Lord. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.